So I'm just curious, how many of you have run a race in your lifetime? Just quite a few. I'm impressed. All right. So how many of you finished the race? All right. I think everybody finished, okay? How many of you enjoyed the race? <laughs> All right. A few of you love torture. Okay. I get it. You know, I've run several races in my life, but I have to tell you, and I've got a picture. Um, this is when I was on staff with Crusade at Western Kentucky. Let's see if we can get... Um, it should go forward if... There we go. Um, this was at Western Kentucky when I was on staff with Crew, and we were running a 10K on the campus. And if you've ever been to Western Kentucky University, it is all hills. And so I was in a lot of pain, but I had one of my disciples, Jenny, who you can tell, she's like, come on, Cricket, you can do this. And, uh, I, was, and I was smiling, but I was not happy. And so <clears throat> I wanted to quit. And when she asked me what hurt, I went, everything hurts. But she spurred me on and would never let me quit. And she would say, all right, you see that next corner? Let's go there. You see that light post down there? Let's just go there, and then we'll discuss it again. <laughs> and I, I finished every race I ran, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. But when I crossed that finish line, every time the pain that I'd felt was worth it because of the joy of knowing I had finished. And the Christian life is like running a race. It's, there are going to be times that we think, I'm done. I cannot run one more step. This is too hard. And that's what the author of Hebrews is addressing this week in the final two chapters of this book. In chapters 12 and 13, he finishes this letter with a final exhortation to spur them on in the faith. And that final exhortation is keep running the race. Keep going. Don't quit. And I'll just, I have to tell you that it was really hard to tie these two chapters together around a central theme because there was so much in these two chapters that it was like a random, just a lot of random tidbits. But I finally decided on this theme of keep running the race because we do see that throughout these two chapters. So let's just review. Since this is our last day with this book, let's just review very quickly uh, this letter. He was writing to believers who had come out of Judaism and had converted to Christianity and left Judaism behind. But when persecution came and it got hard, they began to question I think this is too hard. I'm going to go back to what I know, what was easier. And so some of them were thinking about quitting the race. And the author throughout this book is trying to remind them, Jesus is better than what you'd go back to. He's a better priest. He's, he's better than Moses. He ushers in a better covenant. He's a better sacrifice. On a, why would you go back? Why would you quit running? When if you keep going, it will be worth it. And so that's his whole uh, exhortation. Keep running the race. Don't quit. And some of you today may be weary. 
and you're tired and you're thinking, I don't know how much I have left to give. This is a lot harder than I thought when I became a Christian. Well, to you, that same exhortation, don't stop. Just keep running the race. And so the author of Hebrews gave his readers four ways to help them keep running the race. And there are four ways that are very applicable to us today. And so I'm going to begin in chapter 12. The first way that we can keep running the race, to help us keep running in the race, is to run as a good athlete. Verses 1 to 4. Verse 1, he begins, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and that word therefore is therefore pointing us back to chapter 11, in light of all these saints in the Old Testament that have run the race, now, and he goes on, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, well, those witnesses obviously are the people in, in chapter 11, but there's different interpretations on that, that verse. There are some who interpret this and say, uh, they're sitting in an arena and they're watching us from heaven and they're cheering us on. But the more I've studied this and read the commentaries, that's not the interpretation that most scholars take. Because there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that people can see us on earth from heaven. And so the interpretation that I take is that he means their lives are witnessing to us. Their lives are a testimony to us that you can do this. They've done it. Look at what they went through. You can do this. But it's not that they're in an arena looking down, cheering us on, but their lives are witnesses to us, testimonies to us of how to run the race, and that we can do it. So then he goes on in verses 1 and 2, and he points out two things that a good athlete must do to keep running the race and to run it well. So the first thing an athlete has to do is remove the weights. Verse 1, he says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, to run with endurance, to keep on running, we have to remove those things that would weigh us down and wear us out. Uh, for those that you have run marathons or whatever, you would never think about running a marathon with your little wrist weights on. When you're training, you might run with that. You'd have your ankle weights and your wrist weights, and you might even have a backpack of things to strengthen you. But when that race comes, uh-uh. You take them off and you strip down to just your little t-shirt and your shorts and your shoes and that, that's all you have. Because those weights are going to weigh you down. They know if you're going to run the race well as a good athlete, you got to take all the weights off and run without them. The race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we have to prepare thinking long term, not just, okay, I'm going to do this real quick and then I'll, I'll be good. No, you've got to plan for the future. You've got to take the weights off. And the question I want you to think about this week after you leave here is what weights? I was thinking about this in the car this morning. What weights do you need to remove 
from your life to keep running the race and running it well. And he, he talks about the sins and the encumbrances. So your weights may be a sin. Something that you just can't seem to get a victory over. Or it just may be something that's slowing you down. Um, it may be living with guilt. Or it may be worry. Anxiety. Fear. God, I'm scared to keep moving forward because what if... What are the weights that could trip you up that you need to take off and put aside? Because if you're going to run the race as a good athlete, you've got to remove the weights. The second thing a good athlete has to do is stay focused. Verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we're going to keep running the race, we need to stay focused and not get distracted. We need to keep our eyes on the finish line where Jesus is and not get distracted by, oh, there's this little thing over here trying to get my attention. No, I'm not going to look. Oh, I did. Now I'm going off this way. Don't do that. Stay focused on the finish line on Jesus and Jesus has run the race. He's finished. And he's waiting for us to celebrate when we cross that finish line. Again, a question for you to think about this week, or what are the distractions out here that you're having to ignore that would try to trip you up on your race to get you off course? If you want to run the race with endurance, run as a good athlete. And to do that, you've got to remove the weights. You've got to stay focused. The second way to help us run the race well and to keep running is run as a good child. And you may be thinking initially, a good child, oh, a child doesn't run well. They're all over the place. Well, verses 5 to 13 tells us what that looks like. In verses 5 to 7, he says, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline. Run as a good child because God deals with us as his children and a good child embraces the discipline of his father. He accepts it. That's how we should run, accepting as a child the discipline of our father, our heavenly father. And then the author gives two reasons in this passage why they and we should embrace God's discipline. Why should we embrace it? Well, the first reason, because his discipline assures us that we're his children. In verse 8, he says, If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
And so when God is disciplining us, we should say, thank you, God. It's just a reminder. It's just that assurance. I belong to you, and you love me enough. You're disciplining me as your child. But a second reason we should accept and embrace God's discipline is because his discipline is for our good. In verses 9 to 10, he talks about our earthly fathers who discipline us. And then in verse 10, he says, For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. God's discipline hurts in the moment. But the end result is worth it. Verse 11, he says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Good comes out of that discipline. We become better We become stronger. We become more like our Father as we go through discipline. You know, and as kids, I don't know about you, uh, when I got disciplined, I always questioned my mom and dad's love for me. It's like, I don't see your love in this. That's just our natural response. But, you know, as I grew up, I began to see they did not want to hurt me. And, And when I grew up, they spanked. I mean, they... You know, it was either with a paddle or their hand, or my mom would go out and take a little switch off the tree and come and smack me. And so it hurt. And I questioned it. And I, I've shared with you before, uh, some of you have heard this story about, there's one situation in my life as a little girl that I will never forget. And that was when the day I stole the color crayons. Y'all remember that? And... I, I had stolen before that, told my mom she didn't do anything about it. So I thought, great, I'll just do it again. And I did it again. And the next thing I know, I am standing in front of Ms. Johnson telling her what I'd done. And I am so sorry. And I was in tears, not because I was sorry, but because of what mom was making me do. But do you know that that discipline, I still, I will never forget that day. Because riding in the car, I thought she was the meanest mother in the world. But I realized, wow, if you had not done that, I probably wouldn't be standing here teaching you from God's word today. Our discipline is for our good, and we should embrace it. I am so thankful that my mom had to embarrass herself and go to one of her best friends in the church. And I think I've told you that every time I went to church after that, I always had this Sheepish feeling of, Miss Johnson, how are you doing? (laughs) Discipline is for our good. And so if we're going to keep running the race, we have to accept discipline. Because it assures us that we're his child and it's for our good. Obviously, there were some believers that he was writing to that were going through discipline. And they were feeling weak and weary And beaten down, and so he gives them this exhortation in verses 12 and 13 to strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Strengthen your own hands and knees, but also look around and come alongside and strengthen those around you that are weary and struggling. And so to keep running the race, 
And to run it well, we need to run first as a good athlete, second as a good child who accepts discipline, and third, run as a good alien. Verses 14 to 29. And I know you're thinking, really seriously, Cricket, a good alien? I think you know, though, where I'm going with this. Because we are aliens on this earth. Uh, Hebrews 11.9 tells us, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, waiting for his eternal home. This earth is not our home. We are just temporarily passing through. This is not home. We are aliens here because our home is somewhere else. And if we're going to keep running the race, we have to keep our eyes on our eternal heavenly home and not get so comfortable here that we just forget about it. But having said that, that doesn't mean that we just sit here on this earth and twiddle our thumbs and seclude ourselves and just kind of, all right, I'm just waiting for my home. No, we have, a, we have a purpose. Every one of you have a unique purpose. Every one of you has, I believe, a personal mission, something God has designed you uniquely to do on this earth. But then we all have a corporate purpose, one that's in common, and that is the Great Commission. We are to make disciples, win people to Christ, build them in their faith, and then send them out, equip them to go and win, build, and send. On crusade staff, that was our mantra. We did that all the time. Everything we did ran through that. Win, build, send. That's what we're on this earth to do while we're waiting to go to our, our, earth, our heavenly, eternal home. And so we're not just sitting here idly. We need to be carrying out that mission. Let's not waste our time on this earth. So in this passage, verses 14 to 29, he gives three exhortations about how to run as a good alien. And I'm going to go through these quickly. But like I said, there is so much in these chapters. We could have spent three weeks on this lecture. But three things, three exhortations about how to run as a good alien. First, pursue peace. Verse 14. He says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. How are we doing in this area of perceiving, of pursuing peace with all men? Are we pursuing peace with our sisters and brothers? Or are we dividing? And I will say that over the last few years, I've seen a lot of not pursuing peace, but just stirring up debate and controversy about things that aren't even of eternal significance. Second, stay faithful. In verse 15, he says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And when he says, don't come short of the grace of God, he's warning there against apostasy. He's saying, don't turn away, you know, because these believers, and whether you believe that he's talking to believers who are turning to apostasy or professing believers who hadn't quite, they've almost gotten to that point, they're ready to accept Christ. They professed it, but they hadn't done it yet. And he's saying, don't stop short of his grace. 
and turn back to Judaism. If he's talking to believers that are just ready to reject Christ, he's saying, don't do that because you are turning away from the grace of God. That's, we need to stay faithful. And then the third exhortation for a good alien is to choose the eternal over temporal in verses 16 to 17. And I think this is really important for us to think about as an alien on this earth that we would choose the eternal over the temporal right here now. And he goes into the example of Esau. And Esau is a very clear example of someone who first didn't stay faithful to God, but he also chose the temporal over the eternal. You know, he, he despised his inheritance, his birthright. Didn't see the value of it. So he gave it up to satisfy his immediate desires. He comes in, he's hungry, he sees this stew that looks so good, and he thinks, I don't care about this birthright. That's way in the future. I, you know, I'm not worried about that. Give me what I want now. And he gave up the eternal. If we're going to run as good aliens, we need to focus on the eternal, not what is going to satisfy us temporarily. Because that stew... Satisfied him temporarily, but it was there and then gone. His eternal blessings were for eternity. Don't settle for the temporal pleasures. Look to your eternal blessings. Don't give those up for today. You know, because of a persecution... They were tempted to abandon Christ and all of his promised blessings. And, he, and he's telling them, don't do that. Don't turn back to Judaism because you're selling for the today and forgetting about the value of the blessings that will come. You have to walk by faith, not by sight. So embrace those eternal things. Don't let the temporary pleasures in front of you tempt you to give up your inheritance. And then in verse 25, he comes to the fifth warning in this book. Remember, there's five warnings. And the fifth warning is similar to those that we've read before. Don't refuse God. Don't reject God and his grace. And so he's just reminding them, don't settle for the temporary. You keep running to your heavenly home that will not be shaken. Don't get too comfortable on this earth because this is just temporary. Run the race as a good alien. And so we've looked at three ways to help us keep running the race. First, run as a good athlete. Second, run as a good child. Third, run as a good alien. And so now, the fourth, run as an obedient believer. And we're going to look at all of chapter 13 here. And so you better have your pens ready because I'm going to fly through chapter 13. But run as an obedient believer. And he reminds them in chapter 13 how they should live in obedience to God. And so in this final chapter, he lays out nine qualities. Yes, you heard me, nine. So get your pens ready. Because I didn't know how to really cover this chapter without just touching on these nine qualities. 
But these qualities should be true in our lives to help us keep running the race. But they should be true in our lives. They should be evident in our lives if we are going to keep running the race. And if we're running the race well. So let me just fly through these qualities. First, brotherly love. Verse 1 of chapter 13, he says, Let love of the brethren continue. And again, the question there is, are you loving one another? Are you loving people who have a different attitude or a different idea of how things should be? And I'm not talking about spiritual differences necessarily, but, but do you, well, we need to love those who have different spiritual differences. Doesn't mean we agree with them, but we love them. Are we tearing one another down or are we loving one another? That shows a lot about how you're doing on the race. Second, hospitality, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. How are you showing hospitality? To strangers, to others. And yes, it can be opening your home to somebody or it can be serving. I, I loved what Jan Carrier um, shared Sunday morning in The God at Work about helping with world relief. She's just, she's showing hospitality by driving these refugees to places they need to go because they don't have transportation. That's a way to show hospitality. We need to be reaching out to those around us. Third, empathy, verse 3. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. Are we hurting with those who hurt? Are we empathizing with them? Are we putting ourselves in their shoes? You know, I, we've been watching what's going on in Ukraine and I will tell you that it hurts. Um, last night, watching some of these young moms on the news that were their newborn babies or preemies, they had to take out of the hospital to be able to escape. It just broke my heart. I found myself just in tears thinking, God, I cannot even imagine what they're feeling because we've never lived in a country where missiles are blowing up buildings around us. But I want to empathize. And I want to, to be able to, to pray for them and help in however I can. Have empathy. Just because we're not dealing with missiles doesn't mean that we can go, well, it doesn't affect me, I'm fine. We should be praying for them. Empathy. Fourth, purity. Verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. If we're going to run the race well, and if we're going to be obedient believers, we need to live lives of purity. Are you honoring marriage? That's, he mentions marriage here. Or are you blowing it off? I mean, if you're singles... Are you thinking, well, it doesn't matter if I wait till marriage to have an intimate relationship with this guy? If you're married, are you honoring your spouse? 
and being faithful to your spouse? Are you staying faithful to God's design for marriage between one man and one woman? The world tells us all these things they are okay. If we're running the race well as an obedient believer, purity has to be one of those qualities in our lives. Fifth, contentment. Verse 5, he says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. Don't look to money to bring you contentment because money can come and it can go. Jesus will never desert us. Love Jesus, not money. Sixth characteristic quality is steadfastness. Verses 7 to 14, and I don't have time to go into everything he talks about. But in these verses, he's exhorting them to imitate the faith of godly leaders who have impacted their life spiritually. You, you imitate them. And don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Stand steadfast to the truth of God's word and follow those who are teaching the truth of God's word. Not those that are coming up with all these different views about Christianity. Seventh characteristic or quality, sacrificial heart. Verses 15 to 16 he says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Do not neglect doing good and sharing for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Do you have a sacrificial heart? Do you offer up a sacrifice of praise even when you don't feel like it? When you don't feel like giving thanks, are you doing good? That's part of what our lives should look like if we're running the race well. You know, I think I've got several friends right now struggling with cancer, and they just blow me away because of their praising God and saying, you know, I am hurting now, but God's got a purpose, and I praise Him, and I know He's going to use this. It's a testimony to me to watch them run their race. But their sacrificial, their, their sacrificial heart of offering up praise spurs me on. And then eighth characteristic or quality is submission. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. How are you doing in submitting to the leaders in your church? And I'm not talking about just the senior pastor, but any leaders in, that are over-shepherding you, how are you doing in submitting to their leadership? Do you trust them? Because one of the most disturbing things to see in a church is when people, members start talking negatively and critically about a leader and stirring up dissension. Ninth characteristic or quality is prayer warrior, verse 18. He says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. You know, he wants to conduct himself honorably in what he's doing, and so he asks for prayer, and 
prayer should be a vital part of our lives if we're running this race with endurance and we're running it well. These nine qualities are a good barometer of how we're doing in running the race that we're on. So how many of these qualities are demonstrated in your life? And I was convicted. And I would challenge you, look at them and say, God, which of these do I need to really improve on, work on? Because I, I know which ones I'm not so good at. But I want to have those qualities in my life. So, the challenge. Keep running the race. And to keep running the race with endurance, you need to run as a good athlete, run as a good child, run as a good alien, and run as an obedient believer. And again, how are you doing on the race? Are you running with fervor and you're going strong, enjoying it? Are you kind of getting weary, slowing down? Do you need a friend to come run alongside you like Jenny did with me? Or do you need to come alongside somebody who's struggling and cheer them on? I want to close by reading the author's benediction in verses 20 to 21. Now, the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, those words give us strength and confidence as we keep running the race. If you're God's sheep, he will equip you in every good thing to do his will. You don't have to do this on your own. You've got the great shepherd who will equip you to run the race. According to do his will and in working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. You are not running the race alone. He's equipping you. And I picture, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like when our life is over. But I picture Jesus standing at that finish line to welcome us when we finally finish our race. I thought about that. That Friday morning, sitting in the Memphis Jewish home, when my mom took her last breath. And I watched her, I sat there and I watched her breathing. And it got a little bit longer in between breaths. And I thought, okay, I could picture my mom. It's like, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming, but I'm really tired. <clears throat> and then, you know, just slowing down. And, and I could picture him saying, come on, Margie, come on. <clears throat> you can do this. You're almost here. Come on, I'm here. I'm coming. And her breath got slower and slower. And then finally she did this. And that was it. And I pictured her Going, I'm here. I've done it. I'm finished. And he's like, yes. That's what I want the end of my race to look like. That's what I want the end of your race to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like in heaven. That's just my picture. But let's not quit. Let's run it well. So that when we finish, we run into his arms and he's like, yes, 
I'm so proud of you. Well done. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would run the race that you've given us well. And that we not quit because life gets hard. And we get discouraged. I pray that, Father, when we do get discouraged, that you would bring fellow brothers and sisters around us to spur us on. Let's go to that next chapter, that next corner. Lord, may we please you with the way that we run our race. Thank you for this letter. And Lord, I thank you for the food that we're about to partake in. Thank you for always meeting our needs. In Jesus' name, amen.